0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another week of Cheetah Talk Time, Um, in case you couldn't tell by this different introduction, it's just me this week, there's no Lauren, Phoebe, and so I'm going to be doing a special episode on fashion and kind of like changes throughout the first half of the 16th century. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, me and Lara were lucky enough to go around Shore House, where they have a lovely exhibition on um, fashion through the ages of Shore House. And so I figured, why not? Why don't we deep dive the 16th century fashion and how it changed? Um, so my plan is to go through decade by decade and kind of talk about the different areas in Europe how it changed and okay so first we're going to start with the 1500s that decade um we just see really in general a lot of styles continued from the 1490s um same kind of like style and definitely the basics of like what's going underneath all those undergarments remain the same and they do for most of the first half Um, we have in France, once again, basically the same as the last century, the 1490s, but just more lavish. Like, they're adding layers, like, they're making the materials more interesting with having velvets and different jewels and stuff like that. It's just making it more fancy, just adding to what they have. And what they had was something along the lines of just a square neckline. Um, a loose sleeve, so one that flares towards the end, we see a lot of, and then obviously the classic French hood. Basically, the French hood was kind of this thick band, a bit like a hairband, that sat like halfway on the head, so you see the front of the hair, you see the hairline, and you see it tucked back underneath the hood. And then just really a piece of material that just falls over the hair at the back, and covers it up and it's very nice very simple I mean I'm sure you've all seen photos of it like Anne Boleyn's portrait she wears it you see a lot of them and they become a lot more popular later throughout this um, century but that's just kind of the basics and how you can differentiate between the different hoods um, and then moving on, we're now in Northern Europe where they love a very low cut neckline. So broad. times, they would even be so low that their kirtles um, would show from underneath. And this was kind of like done on purpose so they'd have really decorative like nice hand-stitched kirtles um, with embroidery and stuff on it. Um, so that kind of that came through and they could show that off and it's just the layers really. it's showing the layers. Once again, with the layers, the gold chains we see so much in no- Northern Europe. And if there's one thing they're gonna do with their gold chains that they love, it's layer them. They love to wear loads of different gold chains, just layered. Um, and the very interesting thing, I think, is that they really, really liked a tight sleeve. And they go on to favorite for quite a long time when tight sleeves aren't really that fashionable throughout the rest of Europe. Um, but yeah, they—if they, there's one thing about them in the first half of the 16th century, they're gonna love a tight sleeve and they're gonna love some gold layered chains. Next, we go back to Italy, back down south, um, and here we do begin to see the roots of. A lot of kind of fashion trends that we're gonna see throughout this era so for example we see the roots of the slashing trend Um, so basically in my opinion it's the roots of it and basically women would tie their sleeves um, loose to like as in the bit that connects by the shoulder they tie it slightly loose so on pub so the curtain would show through a really interesting thing in my opinion is that a lot of them wore their hair down or in a simple hairnet or something along those lines so they're wearing their hair you can see it which I just think is really interesting because throughout the rest of Europe they're wearing hoods they're covering their head you know we've got the French hood the English hood or the gable hood um, we and then we've got like hats in northern Europe so it's just really interesting that showing their hair is just something that they do in my opinion Um, and we also begin to see this favouring towards an unnaturally high waistline. Normally the waistline sat on a dress, sat quite low at the hip. See them begin to bring it up in Italy so that it covers, the, as in it's almost above the stomach. Moving on to England. As I mentioned, English hood, also known as the gable hood. The key feature of this is that it's pointed at the top, so it's a little bit like a triangle, like a gingerbread house roof at the top. It's very stiff and then it normally has and then it has some lappets that go down and it covers the entire hair that's the main point of this it's gonna cover all the hair and then we have very similar silhouettes in terms of dresses to the previous century very much the sta- same kind of idea There. Um, final country for the 1500s is Spain Spain once again like everywhere else Loves a square neckline. Ample train um, was a really kind of important thing. So, this meant that they just gathered at the floor because it's a sign of wealth. You know, it shows that you can afford to change your dress often because otherwise, if you have a dress that's trailing on the floor and you have to wear like the same one every single day, that's gonna get dirty. And they were like, they can just afford to change it. So, they're gonna change it. We also see the beginning of the Spanish Farthingale. This is a kind of ribbed skirt, you know, so that it holds this kind of wider shape. We see it a lot to begin with that the kind of structure of it, the circles that go round, often are part, they're almost part of the the final skirt. So that you see the ribbing, you see the lines that go round, which I think is really interesting. Also, once again, low-waisted, because the only country really at the moment that's beginning to have a higher waist is Italy. And we started this century with quite similar fashions um, to the previous century, but there's definitely a lot of differentiation in between the different countries. Now, in the 1510s, we. In each century, I'm not going to do every single country because there's not always, like, a whole load of change. I'm going to do the kind of main changes. Um, So in the 1510s, we begin to see bigger sleeves becoming a thing. Except in Northern Europe, particularly Germany. Because as I established last time, if there's one thing they're going to do, it's a tight sleeve. So this trend of these big flowy sleeves really comes from Italy who continue to favour these broad, low-cut gowns um, with a big, flowy sleeve that creates a rather masculine figure in those days. So in all kind of male portraits, we see them very puffy and stuff, and women normally have very slim-fitting things to show their figure, but this is really changing it quite a lot. They're getting these leg-of-mutton sleeves so that they puff out around the shoulders and the and the top of the arm and then kind of um, cinch in, and it's just quite an interesting shift from the previous tight or loose ish sleeve, but a sleeve that definitely started tight around the shoulders. It's a very interesting change, and it's a very interesting choice because it's so associated with like a masculine figure, masculine outline. The no- low neckline was still a fashion, but it was often made more modest, but with like a high neck chemise underneath it. but. I think what this really demonstrates is that the neckline is very important, whether you cover up underneath it is your choice, how high you make the actual like exposure of the neckline, but the neckline is gonna be low, like that's the fashion. We begin to see slashing in the arms, so because they have these big puffy sleeves as their kind of base, they have, um, they've kind of only, they can only tie their sleeves together down the arms so much, and so a lot of the puff kind of shows through, and that is really what the slashing trend starts as. And then to kind of counterbalance this, going up north to Germany where they are sticking with their tight sleeve, they are tight sleeves till they die, um, their low waistlines till they die, and with heavily embroidered, detailed bodices. So, it's quite a contrast, really. When you look at the two different fashions and you put them together, yeah, the show of wealth in Italy is an excess of materials, whereas in Germany, it's the detail, the embroidery in the bodices, and things like that. Um, Also, a very typical headdress for this time was like a heavily embellished cap. Like, sometimes they'd even have like jewels sewn into it. Like, it's very over the top and often bulks out either side of the head to create. The kind of silhouette that we are familiar with when we think of Germany and their headdresses and finally Germany in terms of fashion if there's one thing they're gonna do in terms of how the dress is looking it's panning I feel like I keep saying if what Germany's gonna do one thing to sum this German fashion up it is tight sleeves gold chains and panning so panning was just basically kind of almost just like thick strips of like different materials um and they just loved it they would go nuts for it. sometimes it would just be like different materials that they would pan with or sometimes it would be like a simple material and a heavily embroidered one like with an important like thick pattern but yeah it just varies and it's what are they feeling what is the vibe and then they just go for it and Moving on to the 1520s, I'm just going to do a kind of more general overlook um, before I get into it in detail. But Spain becomes more modest, um, which is a trend that the rest of Europe is soon going to follow, and it's it's quite a change to the previous century, because the previous century was a lot more kind of relaxed, um, especially on the continent, maybe not in England necessarily. But also Italy and Spain... I've put together here because the fashion in this period is really heavily linked due to the large amounts of Spanish control and Spanish influence in large areas in Northern Italy. And so Spanish trends such as a filled in neckline, um, we begin to see them obviously start in Spain, but they do filter into places in Northern Italy. However, we do still see Southern Italy continues with its own kind of choice in fashion, what it, what like, what it's leaning towards, which isn't really the same vibe as this. We see um, a continued love for large silhouettes and these almost turban-like headdresses that become very popular. And it's basically just kind of layers of fabric that are wrapped around to create this circular fashion around the head carrying on we begin to see panning coming into spanish fashion and a detail in the top half of the dress and then just a wide farthing hoop skirt in spain in particular um now northern europe because if there's one thing i'm going to do in this episode with countries it's just ping pong around europe so northern europe we begin to see some hair let down moments um it's like we see some hair down moments, it's embellished, it's worn among young women, it's been associated with things like um, an unmarried woman, you know, like, or women on their we- wedding day, it became fashionable to wear your hair down, and they put things in their hair to make it fancy, like, like pearls or something, um, and once again, we see gold chains, and they almost become incorporated into the dresses. We see these, like, we see chains that are, like, sewn into the bodice, and finally, pleating on pleating and panning on the skirt. Because I think we've established at this point that that is what they're going to go nuts for. Um, ping ponging back to France, similar fashions continue to be inspired by Italy. Um, and just kind of upping the lavish factor once again, more jewels, more gold, more army, more velvet, all that kind of fancy stuff. They're just upping it to make themselves seem as flashy as possible. But the interesting thing about France is that they do seem to be getting their influences from a mixture of this, these very polar opposite Northern Europe and Italian Spanish fashion. Because, They seem to be beginning to love a gold chain. And we know that they aren't getting the love for the gold chain from Italy. We know where they're getting it from. They're getting it from Germany. And yeah, a lot of, they really begin to lean into this kind of layering of necklaces. And we see this fashion emerging in France of wearing one gold chain, like a normal layered necklace, and then a second one that disappears below the neckline. And this is seen quite a lot and becomes very fashionable. Definitely spreads to England. And this is probably due to Anne Boleyn because she wears this in her portrait. Um, And it's very much a continued fashion trend. And, And finally to England. It's becoming more French. Once again, Anne Boleyn has hopped over. She's come back from France, living at the French court. She's very important. She's caught the king's eye. Everyone's like, how has she done this? She dresses differently. Let's copy. So we have these lower necklines and a lower cut bodice around the back. And um, these would have met together, the two sides of the back of the bodice kind of met together in this V shape. These range from like a very modest kind of high one or to dropping as far down as the waistline. So that's like the whole back exposed. but. Even in this period, despite the fact that we're becoming more French, so sticking with the gable hood, on the whole, in general, it's gable hood till we die, because you gotta keep, you can't be having everything French. It's the French, you know. Moving on to the 1530s, the different areas and countries really begin to peel off and just and just begin to establish their own fashion. So in Italy, we have a low, wide neckline, massive sleeves slashing, they love a cheeky ribbon. We see lots of little bows on their dresses, you know, maybe over the slashing, where it comes together, they might stick a bow. Um They like to carry gloves, this becomes quite fashionable. It's a sign of wealth, it's a sign of being well-to-do. And it's not just, it's kind of some of the first time we see gloves being worn in not just a, it's cold, let me put some gloves on to keep my hands warm. It's like the thin gloves that are like, oh, my hands are precious. Let me cover them kind of thing. Um, And finally, a chemise with a ruffled collar. So, so, you know, sticking with the kind of neckline, but they are, if they're wearing a chemise, if they want it to be covered up, they're going to have a high ruffled neck collar, which really sets the way for ruffs, which we see. As like a craze in the later half of this era Um, okay let's ping-pong to France France we're gonna get a square cut neckline with a high with this kind of arch in the middle so it's we're taking the square cut that they've had before and then it arches up in the middle not not massively but it's very it's still obvious and that's the kind of biggest change, but it's quite a significant change that a lot of, that a lot of countries will follow later. And they bedazzle. They want, they're want they having jewels stitched into the bonnets. It's just as fancy as you can get it. It's not just in your jewellery that you can have fancy jewels. It's stitch it into your clothes, girl. Stitch it into your headdress. Like, come on. Like, they are going to bedazzle. Um, England. Anne's fashion is just really setting into court. She is in her rise in power, and we see this, we see the rise of her influence through the rise of her French fashions, the necklines, the hood, um, and the main difference that was kind of quite interesting between the two hoods and the fact that the French hood began to take root in England is that with the French hood, you are showing some hair, which was just not really done in England. It was not really a done thing. We see a kind of firm introduction of the busk. It made the bodice more compressed, pressing the bust further in and creating a silhouette of a kind of straight line along the bodice area so it didn't show like curves and stuff. It was just like whoosh, straight kind of little triangle. We also see a change in skirt lengths. Floor, there's now floor length, And gathers whereas before they would just kind of be like down to your ankles like peep the shoe a little bit you know but now they're gonna gather round the floor we're gonna have a train and finally although there's a lot of Anne's French fashion influence this is her downfall era she isn't her downfall arc in this period of time and then we see Jane Seymour where really the final version of the English hood um, and the style of this is, so the right half, uh, the material is folded and twisted into the shape of a whelk shell and then secured on the top of the head. And the other half, the other side of the material is allowed to just fall behind the shoulder. We still have the frontlet and lapets tucked up, but they're shorter in length now, but it's still gonna cover all the hair. And then finally for this decade, we have Germany. Anna of Cleves is said to have brought over just a few German fashions, such as multiple rings on one hand, because the Germans just love to go all out with the jewellery. I've said so many times about the gold chains, but they love to wear as many rings as possible, because the more jewellery you wore, the more wealth you had. And they didn't really do earrings, because a lot of your like your head was covered up either by your hat or your headdress or whatever it is you're wearing, it's not, you're not always going to see an earring. So where's obvious? Well, everyone's going to see their hands and everyone's going to see the neck. So that's where they put the jewellery. We also see a little bit more variation in the sleeves. In Germany, maybe a little bit of, a little bit of slashing, a little bit more loose. But on the whole, they're going to remain with the tight sleeves and panning and finally we see this move from the kind of traditional headdress to large hats or headpieces with kind of plumes of feathers and really it is just the bigger the better the bigger the feather the bigger the plume the better finally in the 1540s because I'm only doing the first half in this episode because I'm sure everyone is tired of hearing my voice at this point in the 1540s we have in Italy we still have Spanish influence over women's fashion of Italy including padded corseted bodices because the Italians before this era, they really just like a free flowing style, they like it to be as kind of flowy and stuff as possible, whereas the Spanish style is very kind of straight, though it's pointed waist and a conical profile in the skirt Um, but instead of Adapting the structured farthingale for a smooth, rigid skirt line. Ladies of the Italian court preferred the softer draping of pleats and gathers, so that's kind of how they're making their skirts go wide. And it's just, it's more Italian. Like, we see them just keeping their fashions, and gotta love it for them. Then we're kind of doing, the next one I've kind of gathered Northern Europe is, under the Holy Roman Empire. And it's very much simplified from the previous extravagance because as I said before, if there's one thing Germany's gonna do, they're gonna get that jewelry out, they're gonna layer, they're gonna bedazzle. But not anymore, we see them simplify, which ironically is probably due to the large Protestant influence in the area. Um, We see them higher the neckline, make their headdresses smaller, and lots of muted colours, whereas before, they loved a bold colour. And then finally, for the 1540s and this episode, um, we have England, um, a conical figure in skirts and sleeves, they keep the French hood, and a low, wide neckline. And the fashion in England is very much things we associate with um, the fashions that Anne Boleyn might have brought over, so we see it in... We really see this fashion come through quite a lot. So we see Catherine Parr wear it a lot. We see the young princesses, Mary and Elizabeth, wear it. um, And so on and so on. This conical figure and a French hood and a wide neckline. And yeah, so that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. We will be back, all three of us, next week, hopefully. Um to bring you a more normal episode a more a better episode but um i hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you want another solo episode on fashion let us know maybe phoebe or lara would like to take it on but if you enjoy this kind if you enjoyed this kind of specialized like zooming in on a particular interest let us know let us know what you think leave a review or dm us on any social media platform um follow us on instagram twitter tiktok at tudor talk time um and i hope you enjoyed and i'll see you next week on tudor talk time